Welcome, everyone, to our Every Other Thursday podcast, where we cover the wide world of food service and hospitality. Our hosts cover both the relevant news of the moment and we invite key industry experts in for conversations that are informative, enlightening, and entertaining. Every Other Thursday is an approximately 40 to 50 minute conversation presented bi weekly by Tabletop Journal. Now, here's your host of Every Other Thursday, Dave Turner. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to Every Other Thursday, our, believe it or not, our podcast that runs every other Thursday. This is episode number 28 of Every Other Thursday, and it's being recorded on the week of December 3rd, 2020, almost the year end. I'm Dave. I'm your host here at Every Other Thursday, and I'm here, as I usually am, with my good friends and colleagues, Jay Alley and Mr. Greg Kirish. Gentlemen, how are you today? Good afternoon. Beautiful fall, beautiful winter day. It is actually, well, it's not quite winter yet, that's, that's, but it will be soon. I don't know what they call this, the cusp or not of winter. That's right. But it, that's right. I, should, I, should get my, I should get my facts straight. Your facts straight. <laughs> Technically, it's not winter. Right. But in Chicago, it's always summer anyway, <laughs> 20, 12 months a year. Everybody have a good Thanksgiving? Yes. Yeah, good. outstanding. Good, good. So today... It's going to be interesting, interesting episode today, and I want everybody to know that we're uh, we're always excited to have a guest, and we have we don't have a guest today, but this is really going to be a lot of fun because as we get really towards the end of this year, this has been what only can be described as a year for the all the ages. I don't think we've ever lived through a year like we have this past year in 2020. You guys agree? Not Agreed. this generation. Yeah, I think so. I think it's, uh, and particularly the, the industry that we cover, food service and hospitality. Hopefully, we never see another one like us uh, ever again. I agree. Today, I want to not necessarily look backwards. I want to look forward and turn our attention to 2021, the upcoming year. And this is a time of year when you always have industry progn. How do you say the word? Prognosticators, I, I guess. Sure. Yeah, prognosticators, yes. fortune tellers predict their trends for the coming year. You're talking about Punxsutawney Phil. Punxsutawney Phil. I think Punxsutawney Phil might be more accurate than some of the ones that I look at for trend predictors for our industry. He's the prognosticator for weather for the future. Is that what it is? A winter opposed to whatever. He is. He is. And they pull him out and he tells you whether it's going to be a short winter or a long winter, I think. Yeah, he doesn't come out too quick anymore because one of the guys killed his brothers. I dropped him. I don't know. He but dropped him. Yeah, no, that was up. That was like, that was Staten Island Phil or whatever they call that. No, guy. no, this was Punxsutawney Phil. It was two of them. Oh, okay. Guy picked him right. up and then dropped them. Well, anyway, in our industry, there's one fortune teller, one Punxsutawney Phil, one prognosticator that I really like, and that's Michael Whiteman. Michael Whiteman is part of Bomb and Whiteman, and he's been working on some of the finest hotels, restaurants, and, and overall food and beverage uh, concepts. He's been doing that kind of thing for a number of decades. So he's really experienced and he has a lot of knowledge and contacts all throughout the food and beverage world. And few people in our industry have anywhere near the experience and the knowledge that Michael has. And I really love him. And in today's episode, I want to take a look at what Michael, his, his, his trend predictions have just come out. And I want to take a look at him and get your, you know, your thoughts, my thoughts, everybody's thoughts here on the show on what Michael Whiteman is predicting for 2021. Does that sound good? 
Sounds, Sounds great. great. All right. First of all, we always need to take care of business, and let's do that and get that out of the way real fast. Today's episode of Every Other Thursday is brought to you by Tabletop Journal. Tabletop Journal is where we celebrate the products, the people, and the places all in the world of hospitality tabletop. And so now, with that out of the way, that general business stuff, let's get down to business and let's, uh, as we come down the backstretch of uh, this year, let's get this episode of Every Other Thursday started and let's take a look at 2021 and what Michael Whiteman from Bomb and Whiteman has to say about the food trends in the coming year. Okay, folks, we're here. We've got Michael Whiteman's predictions in front of us, all three of us. And, uh, you know, I really like Michael and I trust his opinions, whatever. I, you guys have had a chance to look through them. Greg, what, what are your thoughts? You're a prediction kind of guy. I was actually in the prediction business for, uh, for, oh, really? a, long, How for so? a long time. I was senior consultant at Technomic for uh, almost five years. And then I was uh, vice president of sales and marketing for the National Restaurant Association show here in Chicago. And so I actually created a, a prediction platform called What's Hot for the National Restaurant Association. And I'm not trying to change this, the subject back to me, but that the point is, is that way back when I noticed that there was just a whole load of predictions out in the marketplace at this time of year, and that most of them weren't based on anything more than gut feel. And what I wanted to do is create something that had, if for lack of a better term, uh, a scientific basis. So I created this what's hot, what's not list. And the methodology was is that we surveyed uh, American Culinary Federation members. I believe at the time there were 12 to 15,000 of them. And, wow. you know, and we bounced uh, cuisines and ingredients and techniques ac uh, across them. And then we asked each one for each one, what's hot, what's not, and a perennial favorite. And I believe this, this is still going on. Uh, and it wasn't perfect because of our base was uh, skewed a little bit towards fine dining, hotels, country clubs, that type of thing. But it was it was sound enough that I know major corporations actually use it in their planning process. And the reason I talk about it, I mention all that is there's a lot of predictions coming out this time of year. And I think one person that really does a good job of kind of giving that picture is uh, Brenna, and I'm sure I'm pronouncing her name incorrectly, Hauk, H-O-U-C-K, with Eater. So anybody that wants to uh, uh, Google her, she talks every year about these predictions and how many people are doing it and that how many are ba are these predictions are based on nothing more than gut feel. This is a long way of saying that we feel that um, Mr. Whiteman might be an exception because he, he might be doing this on gut feel. I don't know his methodology, but... He is, a very, is so respected and so well-connected in the industry that uh, we here feel that it's, it's certainly worth uh, uh, a deep dive into what he has to say. Yeah, no, I think he sees it from uh, a great perspective of certainly a historical perspective, but a great 30,000-foot level kind of big picture, all, all that. But I, I think you're right. We've talked about these uh, off-air and pretty the idea of predictions and sometimes predictions that can be pretty outlandish. And and you get the feeling that those predictors, prognosticators, whatever, Punxsutawney field type people, they're doing it more to draw attention to themselves than they are actually to try and predict what they really think is going to happen. 
many times they'll make outlandish predictions just to get the attention. Yeah, and I, and I don't think Michael does that at all. First of all, Michael doesn't need the attention. Secondly, if he did, yeah, I, Jay's doing, I'm I doing can the see John, Jay. Doing the Johnny Carson thing. Karnak. Yeah, yeah. you have oh, the no, Karnak I, I, thing going on. No, in this case, it's Dr. Fauci. Dr. Fauci, okay. <laughs> well, Just anyway, we, we've gone all around Robin Hood's barn here to uh, present or, or put forward Michael Whiteman as as a leading futurist. And, and he's somebody he, who bears paying attention to. And you can find him uh, at their, their website, which is bombwhiteman.com. But anyway, let's get into this. With enough of all this chitter-chatter here, his first one, pretty pretty safe. Number one prediction is dining will be different in 2021 and beyond. What do you think about all that? Michael's saying he thinks that beyond restaurants, as they as they get started, limited menus, no tablecloths, lots of masks and safety barriers, pouring your own wines, things like that. Do you think that's going to continue on through the entire year of 2021? Is that something post-COVID is going to be around? I think so. I think there's going to be a lot more adjustments going forward. And there's a lot of momentum towards change. People are open to change now. Operators are open to change. Guests are open to change. So there's going to be a lot more experimentation, even if somehow COVID goes away. Well, I mean, how much can you change it? I mean, I, I, I think there'll be changes, but I don't, I, I, don't, I don't agree that they'll be dramatic. They might I mean, be tweaking. People, it might be tweaking. But yeah, I, think I mean, it, yeah. I don't know how much more thoroughly you can stand it. I mean, at least in our area, I'm sure everyone, they clean the tables, they clean the tables, the chairs, the menus. If it's not paper menus, which most places it is. So, I, I mean, I think that'll continue. But, I mean, really, if you look at what's going on in, in, in what's behind us and what's coming up with the vaccine, I mean, to me, I, think, I don't think we should stop doing what we're doing now, but I don't know how much more you can really do. Yeah, one of the things I really like in Michael's number one, his first prediction, he also adds in it, apart from staying alive, restaurants' mammoth challenge in 2021 will be to somehow reinvent a warm, happy social experience, which is why most of us eat out in the first place. I really think Michael's echoing what our sentiment of that great dining experience is why we're all oh God, yeah, going he's 100%, out. He's 100% correct. The, pro, the, the, the thing that, the, my opinion, and not to get political, but there's no way that you can't when you start talking about this stuff, until until our country and the people that are leading it start really thinking about things. I mean, you can't have things be okay one week and do this. And then the next week, it's a change. We wear a mask. We don't wear a mask. We eat outside because that's super safe. Ah, LA, you can't go out. You can't do anything. You can't, you know, until that stops, what is an operator expected to do? I mean, it's ridiculous. I I think the human beings are very, particularly in this country, are very adaptable. And we keep adapting and adapting and adapting. And, and I got to tell you, this, the, the restaurant business, I've said it uh, online and offline, is the most resilient and most creative and innovative industry that I can ever, ever imagine. And yet the operator's biggest challenge, just as Michael said, is keeping up with all those changes. Yeah. And if they change Crazy. every five minutes, it's impossible. I mean, I think that the industry's done a, a remarkable job. It's kind of like warp speed for the vaccine. I think these operators did warp speed for trying to adhere to rules and make their, their situations as safe as possible. But again, I mean, if, if I have to look at what just went on our little town of York, PA, I mean, luckily our guys, as much as, as our guy that runs the state, there's some questions, whatever. But we haven't been jerked around as bad as they have done to people in, the, in some cases in the Midwest. Chicago may be one of them, but, but out on the West Coast, I mean, you got to bring some consistency to your, to your opinion on this. Otherwise, the more you say, the worse it gets. 
Yeah, I think the the, uh, the it's the changing issues all the time that are really disruptive. Let's go on to number two. Michael's saying expect far fewer restaurants, and why is that a good thing? We know there's going to be fewer restaurants. I mean, but why it, is that a good know, thing? Well, in his point, his points are it's a good thing because better quality, fewer. It's the survivors, and there's uh, better quality guys for whatever reason, even if it's just good luck, are the guys that survived. And so they can raise prices, and by using those extra profits and chasing those extra profits, can improve their product and their service. If I if I'm reading this correctly, yeah, no, I I think so, and I and I do think that there for far too long there's been people because the industry for forty or fifty years, I think according to Bob Golden, the guest we had on uh, this past summer, I think that. You know, for 40 or 50 years, restaurant industry and hospitality industry, it's just gone on almost in lockstep, 3 4 5% growth each year, you know, never down, always up. And this reset, before this reset, it allowed that, that lockstep growth every year allowed, I would say, fringy operators to just get into the business and, and do pretty well uh, or do well enough. And now this has been a sort of a culling out. This this pandemic year has been a culling out year for sure. And I expect that that culling out will probably continue into 2021. But as you said, Greg, uh, those survivors, they will be the beneficiaries of less competition, I suppose. Yeah, but I mean, I, I don't, I mean, is it necessarily a good thing because the, the, the consuming public will just have less places to go? I mean, for instance, we have a little barbecue place down here that there's one picnic table. So basically 99.9% of their food is takeout. You walk up to that window, order a sandwich, a plate of pulled pork, whatever you want. It's as good as I've ever had. So people do that. It's certainly not a dining situation because you probably don't, if you're eating a sandwich, yeah, that's one thing. Otherwise you're taking it home. But People go there I mean, when they're open. They're only open a few, you know, certain hours in the week. You can't get near it. So I don't see if that went away for whatever reasons. And to me, that's not a good thing. I, I don't know quite what that means. I, I, I think I think that the the American public fixes a lot of stuff that's good and bad. If you've got a lousy restaurant that truly shouldn't be here, and you're serving lousy food, you're overcharging, whatever the reasons are, you're not going to stay in business. I think our society self-corrects that. So I guess I'm not sure exactly what, you know, is it going to be a good thing of some more clothes? I think the bad ones are going to go away because they're bad. Yeah, I, I think to your point, that one barbecue place, the, the demand for that product won't go away. That supplier of that product might but somebody else is going to take that place, whether it's with uh, a different operator or a new. And, and that's why one of the things we talk about less restaurants and, and a lot of places, particularly uh, the beneficiaries are going to be these new operators who come in and replace the ones who've gone. Because I think, and, and we've said it for a while, I, I, think, I think that we've talked about it here on every other Thursday, is that in a year's time, let's call it 18 months, whatever that period is, there's going to be a wave of new operations, interesting new uh, concepts, different menu types, that kind of thing. And, and yeah, the, the the food may change slightly, but that demand for social interaction revolving around food and beverage, that's not going to go away. It's pretty hardwired in all, all American and people all over the world. It isn't an American phenomenon. It's a world phenomenon, I think. I think that the people you're going to feel really sad for are the people that took a chance. Maybe they have a great product, but they're just truly over leveraged and they just don't have the money to survive. I mean, that's that's that to me is going to be the I mean, I, you know, I mean, there's, there's, there's places we all wouldn't go back to eat. But I don't know. 
I, I just don't know about that. I mean, I, I, I think the general statement of, uh, is less better. I, I, I don't know. I can't even address that. It could be. I, I don't know. Okay, let's move on to the next one. What about saying goodbye to printed menus? That's the next prediction that Michael has. What do you think about that? You have printed menus on their way out? Yeah, I think I think what happens is is that are we going to start living by QR codes? Yeah, a crisis like this creates a change, and then that change gets accepted, and then we move on from. And then once it's accepted, we move on from there. And I think that's what's happening. I think that's what's happening. People will look maybe nostalgically at printed menus, and you know. And I have a prediction is that you know, and sometime in the future, somebody's going to come out with more with more printed menus and then people and then all of a sudden it'll be it'll be a, a very retro a, yeah yeah it's something stand out right yeah, 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 yeah. but in the meantime i can see fewer menus oh they're so menus. different they've got printed menus yeah right 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 when you say it's going to live by qr codes you mean you're going to scan something it's going to tell you what the dish is it's going to yeah. tell you the whole menu they made the whole menu oh. it's already yeah 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 they've got that i and i think what greg's point was without saying it, i don't want to uh, speak for Greg, but the change was already taking place. Yeah. The the pandemic just accelerated that change. Mm-hmm. I was never a big QR code guy, but uh, lately I've had to it had to be. Yeah. That's the only way you can get the information. Yep. How much How much is that going to increase the operator's cost? Because like like now where they put the little thing on the table at Fridays, we or a lot of restaurants where you just swipe your credit card and can pay the bill. Those things are a pain. I I go out and watch that and. At least a lot of old guys like me, most people don't use it. The server has to wind up showing them what to do and all that other stuff. But I happen to like perusing a menu. I mean, how many times do you look at a menu and it takes you five looks at something that you think you like before you make the final decision? Is Does the equipment that they're going to have to give you to do that, like they do with the wine menus, is everybody going to have to have a tablet so they can look at the menu? No, you've already got it with your phone. You've already got the equipment you need. He, the, oh, okay. the operator doesn't have to supply it. You can use your phone, and that's what they're going to do. In actual, when you say, how much is more is it going to cost? Well, it's going to be a one-time cost, and it may be a hell of a lot less to put that software in than it is to print menus however often you have to print them through the course of a year. So we're all so, going to have to get bigger phones because guys like me with that eyesight are going to have a real problem. What are those? What are those phones with the big buttons on them? Yeah, the ones you buy at Sears. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I think uh, here's a prediction. I think that they, that they, we're going to see a return to chalkboards, big chalkboards that that uh, stand in the middle we of the, calm uh, the room. Just a little, we need to just calm yeah. down a little here. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. All right, let's it's, move on. Uh, it's a good question because look at all the conversation that started. Your favorite chefs aren't cooking there anymore. All these restaurants uh, are closing up. The, the The idea of a star chef is going to change, in, in Michael's opinion. High-quality comfort food is going to be uh, priced, uh, he was talking about, right for these kinds of times. What is going to happen with food in general? Are there going to be chefs cooking in these places? Are there going to be robots? What's going on? What's going to happen in the future? Well, we're thinking, if you follow, I believe, uh, Whiteman's train of thought, is that with fewer places, the guys that have survived are going to be the ones that are more, the most innovative and the best quality. Again, following his, his train of thought, that means that the, the food is going to be better, more costly to the guest, and there will be a, a different experience. Like, for example, no printed menus, but the food, which is why you go to the restaurant, is going to be good. And there's going to be plenty of labor to make it, which has been a problem in the industry. Yeah, I think the idea that people are going to eat better 
has been coming for a while. Whether, and when I say better, I mean more quality ingredients, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And people are expecting high quality ingredients and less processed foods and better for you type foods as well. And now you're going to have chefs who, according to uh, Mike Whiteman's predictions, that are going to be doing special pop-up places from time to time. So there's going to be a lot of flexibility, but I, I think what your point is right on, Greg, that people are going to eat better better quality food, less fussy food, but better, just, just better for you. Exactly. And, yeah. and, the, and the resources will be there because there'll be fewer restaurants. Again, apologies to Mr. Whiteman if, we, if I've got this wrong, but that's how I'm interpreting it. I have a feeling if Michael disagrees with any of our comments, we'll hear about it. Uh, Michael's <laughs> that he's not a shy guy, so that's great. That's yeah, thanks be a great. lot, Greg. You just ruined my afternoon. I, see, I guess the White Castle chain is done. <laughs> well, no, there's and, a place and, for that, you know. I was going to say, in, in the next breath, Michael's also saying, are these shifts in behavior, are they going to be permanent changes to our eating habits? What do you all think? I think that, you know, the pendulum is always swinging, and obviously it's swinging in one direction towards change now. It'll come back, but it won't come back all the way. So there there will be a number of, uh, of these changes that will become just accepted. It's, it's just the way you do things. I guess that printed uh, menus is probably a perfect example. They'll, they'll go away. And everybody will be using QC codes, and that's accepted with a, a few random people still doing it the old-fashioned way. What about the idea of the work-from-home concept, which I think we'd all uh, say, while it, it, it will lessen than it is today, it's the work-from-home, uh, it's been going on now for six-plus months, eight months, whatever, beyond where it was before COVID. But now, what changes will that bring to uh, some of the the behavioral shifts that we have to our eating habits. I think that's a perfect example because, you know, there were advocates, you know, just now and and not too long ago that were saying, okay, the world is a different place now. We should shift like 100% towards working from home. And already academics that have been advocating working from home for uh, years, now they're actually saying, well, let's wait a second. What we're finding now that this giant experiment is going on is that it's just like everything else. We need to have some sort of balance. So they're saying maybe work from home three days a week and then the office two days a week. So the reason I, I ramble like this is because the point is, is that where people are saying for the food service industry, well, we need takeout because nobody's ever going to go back to the office. I don't think that's quite true. I talked to somebody this morning that said one of the worst things that he's having to experience is not, is not being able to work out of an office. That person felt that that's my structure. Sure. So I think working a few days out of the house or go back into the office, fine. I think certain businesses are always going to have to have somebody that is in the office. Otherwise, you know, it could be crazy. But for the restaurant business, I mean, I would think the working at home has been a boon for the delivery services. I mean, take out food or call to have it delivered has got to be going through the roof. Yeah, this this next prediction folds right into the, some of this uh, conversation, too, because Michael believes that restaurant brands are going to find their way into the home kitchens with meal kits and, and products that are branded with a chef or the restaurant restaurant's uh, identity. What do you guys think of that? Have you seen that one that's on TV where you, you sign up for the program and you buy, they give you the oven? And then the, the, the food comes in. It looks, and I don't know how much it costs. I haven't, because I wouldn't do it, but the, the foods come, the individual meals come in. Probably all contained in the box about this big, the big ones, and then I guess you can plate it or you can actually eat it out of the container. 
but you stick it in this oven and then you take, I guess it's the QR code thing you're talking about. You scan that across the front of the oven. It does it all for you. Then when the oven beeps, the meal's done and it's done perfectly. That's pretty cool. I love this idea of chefs and, and bartenders too, because we spent a bunch of times uh, getting in on this pushing brands out to consumers to take away and use in their homes. Uh, right. On our other podcast, Seat Yourself, we've had Xander Loretz and Hansen, who's really way down the road on mixology and spirits and whatever. And we've had several sessions on cocktails to go and the profitability of that and how for opera restaurant operators and and the fact that people like that convenience, they like that restaurant experience or try to do it at home. And it's a different type of experience than it is to call up and, and have takeaway or have a delivery service deliver. It's the meal kit where you actually make the meal with the ingredients that the chef has quote unquote prepared for you in the portions. There's all kinds of side benefits to that. And I really like the idea that there's not a lot of waste. You have the right ingredients you need for that meal. You know exactly what to do. And the chef, you're very focused on that one meal. I think that there's a lot of upside in that, whether it be food or the beverage concept itself. If some of those meals delivered, not the ones I was telling you about where you got to buy the oven, but some of that other stuff, have you priced it out? Have you guys taken a look at the cost? The cost versus what? Well, it's it's like for a lunch. I I just checked out some things like if you if you you get so many dinners, so many lunches. I didn't even bother with breakfast. But the average lunch meal that you would heat up in your own oven and stuff like that was between twelve and sixteen bucks. Correct, but that's that's not much different than it would be if you paid to go out out and get have it, or maybe me less. But you got to cook it, and you can't make a mistake. That's why I was intrigued by this thing where the oven does it for you. You just scan the card of the container. Well, that, that's, that's a variation of that. I that's agree unbelievable. With you. Yeah, I hope you guys see that. It's pretty intriguing. Yeah. No, I, I've seen it. I agree with you. It is intriguing. I, I think that there's something to the idea that I want to put some work in and make the meal but I might not want to be responsible for buying all the right ingredients and making sure that I know exactly what portion sizes to make, whatever. So I leave that up to my celebrity chef or even my the chef that I try. If I trusted him enough to go to or her enough to go to her restaurant, I want to be able to trust them in my home as well. So I, I think the ease of that whole thing, I think it has a great potential. Well, I, I think so too. But I mean, I go back to the, the early in the conversation about you know trends and all this stuff. I mean. We're talking about when do you guys think that this, this the vaccination thing will have a when you really see a huge benefit third quarter of 2021? You know, I'm so sitting so that's another, far that, That's at least one yeah. more podcast. That's yeah. another yeah. whole podcast. Yeah. By well, the reason I the reason I asked that question is because the thing that, that if hits you have me the answer is, to that, by the way, I want to I want to know so I can go invest in a few uh, companies. Well, no, but here I think the part of the, the answer is is simply the thing we've always talked about from day one is that we're all social creatures and all of this inside stuff is fantastic, but it's never ever going to replace the interaction that we have in restaurants with friends and family, just people that we know from the, from the bar or the restaurant or whatever, it, that's not going to slow down. And I think that if this vaccine works and takes hold and people get their confidence levels up, you're going to see more people going out maybe than, than did in the past because they've been, they've been starving for that interaction with uh, society. There's no question that the initial surge is going to be incredible, but I really do think that people have adjusted uh, their thinking and their expectations and the comfort levels and whatever. And keep in mind, a lot of the money that wasn't be, that hasn't been spent in the last six or eight months uh, dining out, whatever, has been invested in homes. 
Sure. Yep. In home goods and furniture and, and kitchen equipment and renovation and all that. So people have set themselves up now for that kind of experience in the home more than they were before. Also, municipalities have changed the rules. So now we have cocktails to go and beer to go and these type of different you know, services and, easier, and yeah. concepts. And they've proved to be well-run and acceptable with few problems for the community. So, you know, why would the uh, municipalities then go back to where they were before? So I think that, you know, it's it, the world is a, ch- is a changed place. Yeah, they, they've just got to figure out how to tax that a little better. <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of going, we're, we're going to take a break right now. This is pretty fun stuff. We're talking about getting uh, the team's opinion on... Mr. Michael Whiteman from Bomb and Whiteman, he's been doing the, his annual prediction food and beverage trends for a number of years now. We find him to be at the top of the pile in terms of uh, opinions uh, looking forward, and we love Michael Whiteman a lot. So we're going to come back with more on his predictions for the upcoming year of 2021 right here on Every Other Thursday. Back at you in a moment. This episode of Every Other Thursday is brought to you by TabletopJournal.com. For more than nine years now, Tabletop Journal has been covering the food service and hospitality industry, all the while raising the awareness of just how important Tabletop is to the overall guest dining experience. If you haven't signed up for Tabletop Journal's bi-monthly newsletter, it's simple and easy, and it's free. Simply go to tabletopjournalnewsletter.com. Now, back to our podcast. Hey, everybody. We're back here at Every Other Thursday, your Every Other Thursday podcast, where we take on all things within the world of food service and hospitality. I'm Dave Turner. I'm here with my friends and colleagues, Jay Alley and Greg Kirish. And this week, in this week's episode, we're going over Michael Whiteman from Bomb and Whiteman. We're going over his predictions for the food and beverage world in 2021. And we're nowhere near as articulate as Michael is. We're giving us, uh, taking a shot at it, and we're talking about his predictions. And the reason we use Michael Whiteman is because we think he's as good as they get when it comes to uh, forecasting the future. We're going to talk at the end about a uh, guest that we hope to have on soon who will measure up as well. And But we'll get to that all that later on. Right now, we're in the middle of Michael's predictions and and Greg, you made a nice comment during the during the break about the the next couple of predictions. They all involve whether it's global adventures for the hunkered in, or the African American cooking, or the diet of the year flex uh, flexitarian on edge and veg. Those all really revolve around the issue of what we're going to be eating in the coming year. What are your thoughts on some of this uh, adventure, global uh, culinary world? There is absolutely no doubt that the American consumer is becoming much more adventurous and and fickle regarding cuisines and all things culinary. So yes, they're constantly looking for something new, something trendy and uh, more impactful in terms of flavor, more unusual. And so this has been happening before COVID. And I think COVID has probably accelerated it because people are at home and dining is an, is an escape. And so that certainly uh, feeds into it. And then, you know, then uh, Whiteman's prediction about African and Afro-American cooking. Well, that's just a new thing, new type of uh, cuisine that most people or many people are unfamiliar with. And so that fits right into this whole story. And then flexitarian with the edge on veg. 
that again is is part of it. There was this move towards health, or at least people envisioning or hoping that they're eating health, healthy. Again, COVID is accelerating these these trends. Yeah, I think whether it's food kit, meal kits, foods from all over the world, whatever, I think we're all, we all want to be on this uh, food and beverage or this culinary adventure. And so I love the fact that we're, we're all thinking in terms of eating our way around the world. I was looking at some of the wine um, programs that you can get, wine by the month. I was looking at those recently, sort of, I'm trying to get a handle on where where, where that whole category is at. And, you know, you can drink your way around the world if you want with different wine clubs that, that send you wines from this part of the world. But it's not just about sending you out food or sending you out wines. It's teaching you about that culture. And I think a lot of people that love food and beverage like we all do, they're also interested in the cultures of where these foods come from and these beverages come from. You know, whether it's a regional one here in the United States, and I, I know there's a big push on local, you know, eat local, drink local, all that. But I want to find out more. I don't want to just drink the uh, beverages or eat the foods from an area. I want to find out about that area and the people that live there. You know, Jay, you live in a great part of the world, a culinary world, Jay, in in that southern Pennsylvania area, produces a lot of great food. And, and I'm sure there's some great, you know, whether it's sausages from the Amish people. Yeah, it's a farm, or, it's a farm to table kind of place yeah, around here to some degree, yeah. no doubt about it. Yeah. yeah. I'm curious about the people, too, that produce those things. So uh, those stories are important, I think. Greg, you, you and I were talking uh, recently about a gentleman uh, in Nebraska who's doing some really cool things. And we want to, it isn't about growing oranges in Nebraska. It's about who, you know, Russ Finch really is as a person, what motivates him and stuff, and that culture that does that. I think that's really cool. That's a good tee up. It's going to be a fascinating interview coming up. I urge people to uh, Google greenhouses or oranges in Nebraska. To, to, okay. yeah, to, greenhouses in the snow. Right. And, uh, yeah. and learn about this guy, Russ Finch, and what he's up to. But the point, the point is, is that, yeah, that, you know, that, that's all going to, it's all being accelerated by uh, COVID, which steps in, which moves us towards kind of the next prediction of, of uh, Whiteman, which is about immunity. He's, he says immunity is the new sustainability. And basically what I think he's saying here, it's health food. It's all this fermented food like sauerkraut and with living cultures, kimchi and kombucha. And I, I think, again, this was a trend that was happening before the pandemic. And now people are at home and uh, and they're and they're more focused on food and keeping themselves healthy i don't see why this why this trend won't won't continue you see a lot of advertisements as of late for pills that'll keep you healthy yeah, like yeah, texas, yeah. texas superfoods and all that yeah yeah what yeah. is that veggies and fruits and yeah because well the thing is, is it, yeah you take three pills from two different bottles and uh, the, the two different kinds of formulations but the thing is what really is scary is if you if you listen to it and i, I guess it's probably mostly true i don't know if we could consume enough a good food to get us as healthy as the pills could get us. I don't know. I mean, you're talking high beets are good for you. That's that's a good news. The bad news you got to eat two bags a day. <laughs> I get sick of beets really quick. I'd rather just eat a beet. Yeah, give me the pill. <laughs> no, no, I like the beets. Okay, what about this? The next one, the war on waste. 
What's new about that? There's been a war on waste for a while, isn't there? Well, people are at home now, and I think that they fo- can be focused on a lot of uh, functions in their uh, in their homes, their houses. They can see what's you know, what's going on. And we know that they're cooking more, and all of a sudden they're saying, "Where I'm filling all these trash cans, all this trash, these waste paper baskets." I got to get this under control. This is all going to a landfill or what have you. And I think that people are, you know, are are concerned. At the Alley household, there's just two of us for the most part, right? So most of our waste is created by food that we don't get to eat and it goes bad in the refrigerator, mostly salads and stuff. It's funny you say that. I was just thinking, are refrigerators and appliances now going to have to change because our refrigerator is going to get bigger? Do we need another refrigerator uh, in the home? If I'm getting all these meal kits, what do I do with the leftovers or whatever? It's crazy. You know, I think I think you just got to, like Sandy and I, my wife and I have decided that we've just got to sh- shop smarter and not just go shopping when you're hungry because we buy too much for just the two of us. I mean, that, that may cause us to get out to have to go shopping more, which is fine. I mean, I don't think we're going to – I mean, if we stay in as much as sometimes you think about it, we won't have any – our eyelids will shut closed like small animals if they don't come out in the daylight. You know? <laughs> we got to go shopping. At least that's a social interaction. <laughs> wow. What about the next one? The next one is really gets back to out of the home, back to restaurants. And whose street is it bursting through four walls? Do we really see restaurants going back into the the four walls that they were? Are they going to stay out? Is outside dining here to stay, particularly in urban areas? I used to live in uh, in in Europe for a while and have traveled there many times. And you know, there was always the kind of the uh, joke about the Europeans, no matter how cold it was we were eating outside al fresco but uh, now americans you know that wasn't it wasn't uh, a tradition here but now it you know it, it started last several years and it's and now it's just like a lot of things that we're talking about the covid epidemic has accelerated that people like to eat outdoors now operators or the operators that are surviving know how to um you know if you pardon pardon the pun feed that trend and municipalities have allowed it. So this is a this is a in terms of real estate is a low cost way for uh, operators to expand their footprint. And I don't see why municipalities would go back on that. They're getting the tax revenue. It's kind of like over in Germany where our factory is. You, you go out in the morning and have a cup of coffee, and if, if you're there in the fall season, they're kind enough to put the little blankets on every chair, and you can throw the blanket over your lap or over your shoulders to keep warm and have your coffee and your pastry. It's, it's really kind of cool. I'd like to see more of it. What about the idea of who owns the real estate and uh, you're going to pay extra? I can't believe the municipalities are going to let this continue on without taxing it. That particular portion of the real estate at a higher level than they would the normal footprint of the of the restaurant. Well, the cynical side of me says yes, they are. But uh, <laughs> in, in a uh, in a place like where I, I live, where the tax revenue is based mostly upon property tax, and mm-hmm. so if any way yep. that the municipality, the village here, can get more money from the local business, that will take pressure off of the property taxes. My prediction is that by and large, the citizenry here will be will be for it. Now that's going to be different every location you go. I think all in all, it's a good thing. And I think that that's how I think that's how most neighborhoods are going to see it. Right. I believe it is. And uh, the issue of Michael brings up a valid one. Who owns the street? You know, does the delivery driver own the street or does the restaurateur who who's tumbled out into the street here with his uh, outdoor al fresco dining? Who owns that street there? 
Well, and, you know, I guess it's the same argument or perhaps different. But if you go back here in Chicago, we're one of the major cities in the United States that really pushed back on uh, food trucks. We had, you know, food trucks, an explosion of them in Portland and Los Angeles. Here in Chicago, they, you know, for the most part, they didn't exist because there was all these rules where they could only be in one spot for so many minutes and they couldn't be near, sell near a, an established restaurant. And this went all the way to the Illinois Supreme Court. So this, this argument has been going on, but it seems like that in the end, the consumer is going to get what they get what they want, and I think that what the consumer wants is more al fresco now, especially now it's be, that it's being perfected. Yeah, it's a lot better than it was uh, even three months ago, four months ago. Right. Even though we're going into uh, the colder part of the year in certain uh, regions, I also think Michael brings up a good point in this trend uh, prediction when he talks about taking over the street that municipalities lose the revenue from parking meters. And so that doesn't raise the chance that they will be taxed at a different level, perhaps, uh, on the revenue that's produced from those areas, as long as they, they allow the restaurateurs to maintain that outdoor dining in the streets. If the municipalities are not going to get the revenue from the parking meters that are there, then they're going to want to replace that and more, I think, with something else. So... Interesting stuff. Okay, now we're getting to the, my favorite part always of Michael's uh, predictions, which is his buzzwords that, that he thinks there. Any particular buzzwords jump out for you, Greg? On Michael's list or in, yeah, or, or yeah. in general? The never-ending spicy chicken promotions. Never-ending promotions. Well, he's has Things some like here. That. I agree with a bunch of them here that seem really esoteric, but I've discovered them recently, and I, and I think they're great, like Avar. A-J-V-A-R, which is a, a condiment from the Balkans. Now, this is drilling way down. And uh, these are kind of things that, you know, I do predict that we're going to see in the future. And maybe they'll become, you know, uh, come to the tip of the tongue for, for many people. But these are hard to predict. He's going on, on I think, going on. on, on. But what, do you, what, what do you think about something like hard, hard seltzer? We know has been exploding as a category or seltzer water in general. Mm -hmm. Now they're going to do it with CBD in it? Sure. Yeah, I think, that, well, there's going to be a lot of uh, experimentation j j going on there with CBD. There's going to be CBD, I think, in, every, in everything. Yeah, I, I, you can't turn toothpaste CBD, everything CBD. Right, right. That's not the real stuff, though. That's just that that takes out all the stuff that makes you see more than one thing in front of you, right? <laughs> right, right. And, you know, and, and, and it's supposed to be a, a cure-all for, for everything. I mean, I know every. I know it's lots a of people. It's youth, isn't it? Yeah, that, right. And, and and I'm not here to say that it is or it isn't, but these are tough predictions. Again, I go back to my past where I think that uh, to make any of these, you really need to talk to a really broad group of people and call a lot of answers to get to get something solid. And I don't know if that's the case here or not. So these are like statements or just words that get thrown out? or Yeah, they're buzzwords that you're going to hear more and more of through the course of 2021 and beyond. And one that really jumps out at me, we touched on it a little bit earlier, but it's branded restaurant products from T-shirts to chicken fat going out. Restaurant tours selling more products than just come to my restaurant, sit down and have a meal and go home. I really think that that idea, if you trust a chef, and you're the, you're, you have that certain persona as a chef, then you can sell products in 
not only other types of products, but other types of products in other venues and other platforms. And I'm really surprised that I haven't seen more chef-driven meal kits available in grocery stores yet. And I know they're out there, but they're not out there as widespread as I would have thought they would be. And I think that's going to be an area where people can go to a store, buy a a meal kit, and add to it the ingredients from that store, that shop, because it gives a chance for chefs to co-brand, if you will, with the, the grocery chain, and then also for the chain to be known as that culinary resource for a person who's looking for that. I think that's coming. I think the grocery stores are retooling right right now because, yeah. you know, they got slammed about, you know, the removal of the uh, salad, salad bars yeah. and uh, the self-service. And, and actually, some of that is coming back in my area now. And mm-hmm. olive bars, and all that kind of stuff that I, I personally, personally liked a lot. And so I think grocery stores, which were uh, basically really stepping big time into the food service arena, are not are going to be going in that route. I think that uh, we're going to be seeing that coming down. The, I'm waiting for the, the chef pike. who wants to co-brand the roasted chicken with a grocery store chain. Because that roasted chicken concept, I'm telling you, uh, they do it as a loss leader uh, and they get you in and, and nobody's buying, nobody's walking to a grocery store and only buying the roasted chicken. Right. You heard it here for, first, folks. We're going out on a limb here. With a, with no, I mean, even, yeah. and Costco just developed a whole, uh, um, I don't know whether you call them chicken farm or yeah. whatever it is. Chicken Costco, and the, yeah, they, they've got their own source of supply. They stopped buying chickens for people. They now have their own farms. So, so where is the chef who's going to co-brand with Costco on their ch- roasted chickens? When am I going to get Wolfgang Puck's roasted chickens in Costco? Wolf, if you're listening to the podcast, Here's your chance. I yeah. want I want some royalties thrown back this way. People have have taglines or words that will drive people to pick up their brand. That's been going on for a long time. Yeah, yeah. a few things come to mind. Like, where's the beef? Yeah, where's the beef? <laughs> and and I got to tell you what, he, Michael his, uh, he hits another home run here when he says stay at homers are opting for better coffees and here's the important part: better brewing paraphernalia. How many coffee makers have been sold this this year because you're not going to the office anymore? You're working at home. You're eat, you're drinking coffee and probably better coffee. Also, I mean, this has got to been great for the Nespresso people and the Keurig people. Does anybody know how big the coffee business is? Because I, I that's an it'd be an interesting number. I mean, just coffee, whether it's sold in a restaurant or espresso at home or Keurig stuff. I mean, yeah, that's got to be a business that's scary big. It's a number that's not hard to find, but it's 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 big and it's growing. Coffee uh, replaces alcohol in a lot of places. Let me add another word to that. Good coffee does. It's getting better. It's getting better. I mean, no, it is, and yeah. people are drinking less alcohol and lower lower uh, you know ABV uh, alcohol alcohol content, yeah. and people are really I think getting more and more sensitized to that aspect too. So there's a lot of forces yeah. creating these these behavioral well, it's, changes. It's interesting because you, you may have seen it, but on, on one of those companies, I, I think it's either Texas Superfoods and I can't remember what the other one is, but there's two of them that are on now all the time, and one of them took the tack to say you can you can buy our vegetables. You know, for, for a whole month, and they put up a chart on the, on the on the wall for less than you can drink twelve cups of coffee in a Starbucks. They don't say Starbucks, but they show you know that that's what they're talking about. It's all green, and yeah, yeah, the cups are yeah. green and all so that. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. that's pretty impressive. I mean, because the stuff is like Sandy and I figured out it'd be one hundred and forty bucks a month if we both signed up, because you both have to take three of each. There's two bottles, so it's about sixty five, seventy bucks per person. And they're talking about, you know, 
I know how much. What's what's an expensive coffee at Starbucks? Five bucks. Oh sure, yeah. Yeah, so you have fifty bucks. Fifty bucks a week. A long time ago, I was wow. the uh, I managed marketing for uh, Sara Lee's Coffee and Tea Division, so I should know, I should know this, but that was a long time ago. But while we're talking here, I just googled real quick, and according to the uh, this goes back five years, so things have changed a lot since this. But yeah. uh, five years ago, according to the American or to the National Coffee Association, the industry was two hundred twenty-five billion, and so you can imagine it's over that now. Yep. But um, I think I think uh, since we're our origins come out of the tabletop sector, I I think that there's a, there's a great opportunity for better coffee service products, cups, saucers, that kind of thing, creamer, sugars. I think it's a great opportunity to have sexier cups and and less utilitarian. You know, have me make a statement with what I bring my coffee. And I know Ely has done a great job of that, of creating these art artist ones each year. But I'm talking about on an everyday basis, because if we're going to drink more at home, we, we want to drink the coffee, the tea, whatever. We want it to be a better quality, but I want to drink it out of better quality people. And then I want, here's the important part too, I want to be known for drinking it out of bone china versus some cheap ceramic sea handle mug it's part of the entire package and these yep. these points we're making i'll go back to earlier predictions here that we've been talked about about how the guest is becoming more sophisticated and adventurous and is looking for these kind of things so you know operators and manufacturers should play into that you know i know i know right now everybody's just in survival mode but all these things you talk about like the better cups and service items are are important and are going to be important to the survivors in this whole thing. I think what Dave said is, is right on the money. When we were in Charleston a little over a year ago, we, the hotel we stayed at, we'd go down for breakfast every morning. And, you know, like when the, the Cortino service for glasses of wine, they bring the glass, they put a little carafe, you get a little bit, they put it down and away you go. They, did, they were doing the same thing with coffee. They were bringing you a little beautiful little stainless steel pot. They'd pour a little bit in. So you could do what you wanted to do, and then they just left it. And basically, it was almost two cups of coffee in that pot. I thought that was cool. That was just really classy. And I think, Jay, too, to your point, uh, you're a glass guy, and I think there's a lot less alcohol being drunk, wine, cocktails, whatever, in restaurants and bars. But there's more, not enough to offset the loss in the bars, the on-premise stuff, but there's a lot more being drunk at home. And I don't know whether the number is 15 or 20 percent, but it's in that range that alcohol consumption in the home has gone up. Point being, Mr. Glass Guy, he said, if, I, if I'm going to drink wine at home, I probably want to drink that out of a better wine glass right. and whatever all that brings along with it. So I, I see this great opportunity for operators in these predictions that Michael Whiteman has put forward. But I also see that there's great opportunities for supply chain and for manufacturers here, too, to take yeah. a, and take these to the uh, yeah, to heart and and understand them and embrace them in, in your go forward for your company. Well, it's like, you know, I mean, I think the thing that the coffee thing gets back to is it's all about the experience. And uh, I think you're absolutely right because I mean, there's other times when you have been to somewhere, they do that same thing and then they put a little biscuit in the saucer that the, the cups on. So you get your little cup of coffee, your coffee pot, and then there's a little biscuit for you. And I'll tell you what, people may not like those biscuits or whatever. I don't see many biscuits brought to the side of the table that didn't get eaten. So that's a neat little touch. The one that I always love is the the uh, where a lemon 
you have a little slice, a uh, little zest of the lemon uh, on the side of a cup of espresso, a glass, you know, a cup of uh, espresso. Yeah. You know, what tea, the hell yeah. is that doing there? Somebody <laughs> sold the lemon for that. I mean, that, that's unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. Michael Whiteman has one buzzword prediction that I hope goes away and goes away fast, though, I have to say. And it's the idea of private outdoor dining bubbles. I got to tell you, folks, I'm not going to any bubble any piece of plastic wrapped around me and sitting outside, particularly as the weather warms up. It isn't warm now. It's getting cooler. But as the weather warms up, it's going to be warm. It's going to be like a greenhouse, I can imagine. But I'm not sitting in a bubble and doing that. How about you guys? They have those? They actually have them. They've had them for a while. Oh, really? Bubbles. I haven't seen them Plastic yet. bubbles. Little greenhouses you're going to sit in, a little private greenhouse. Really? Eagles. Wow. Yeah, the first ones were that that made that really made you know made everybody aware of it were the ones that were being done in Amsterdam on the on the canals. But now they've got all kinds of private bubbles you can do, and and I, I'm just not going there. Yeah, because that's like I mean that's a, that's an environment for uh, spreading of. I mean, somebody goes in there or sneezes. It's not even if they they don't have symptoms of them. They just coughed up. Listen, a little it, listen. If I'm that worried, I'm going to eat at home. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I agree with you. But Dave, that goes back to what we were talking about earlier about dining al fresco. You know, taking over the sidewalks and yep. you know. No, I know. So, yeah, it, it, who's going to pay? Yeah, it's who's who owns the real estate. Yeah, it's a great point. Have you great have point. you guys seen many many sidewalks being encroached on? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh -huh. See, around They're here, Chicago. it's pretty much yeah. around here. They keep them in their parking lot because I mean, obviously Chicago, you don't have outdoor. I mean, you know, it's different. Like a restaurant, like the Paddock, David. They got the big front area and stuff, which basically people just drove through to get to the back parking lot. That's all mm -hmm. nice tables now. But the place, Jay, I think where they're, where the sidewalks are being taken over is in the urban areas where New York City, uh, Washington, D.C., Chicago, downtown Chicago, that kind right. of thing. And, and I think it's just to come, it comes out of, A, people want to be safe and they think they're safer outside, and B, the, the operators are desperate for revenue. Right, right. So well, well, and also the government the government is forcing the issue that says that you can only you know, here in Chicago you can only serve outside. Right. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah I know. And I, I think some of the things that I've seen will probably stay because they're kind of cool. And the smart people have included a branding component to whatever they've done outside. They've made the the outside dining uh, on the on the sidewalk or even in the street. They've made it reflect who they are as a brand, a restaurant brand. Uh, the other people have just you know slammed some tables down. I think there's branding opportunities everywhere. Anyway, hopefully outdoor dining grows without without penalizing the operators and keeps us all safe. But uh, a lot of stuff to think about in Michael Whiteman's 2021 predictions so if there's a silver lining to this whole pandemic it's that you know that it's been a, a giant forced experiment lots of things have been tried you know obviously lots of things are going to fail but there will be some things that come out of it that are positives to the guest and the operator and the manufacturer the suppliers points of view I want to thank Michael Whiteman for publishing these, first of all, and allowing us without, uh, maybe he's got on the phone with his lawyers right now, I don't know. But thank you for letting us uh, come on here and comment on them and give our opinions. Michael Whiteman is at the forefront of uh, a lot of things in our industry and has been for a long time. So appreciate it. And I think what would be kind of cool is if we could get him on sometime in, let's say, the middle of next year and see how we're doing against some of these predictions. Right. Well, I'll tell you what, I don't think we've had an episode at 
happened before this that was this thought-provoking. Yeah, that's true. Speaking of thought-provoking, Greg has a great friend who is also a prognosticator, and she's agreed to join us. Greg, why don't you tell our audience a little bit about who we'll have right before uh, the holidays and uh, coming up and joining us on here? Well, I think that she might already be uh, well-known by many of our listeners, Nancy Cruz. Nancy, Nancy's been in the industry for a long time. She's a columnist. She's been a consultant and a speaker and, a, and an excellent clairvoyant in the industry. She has the ability of really looking at a lot of things going on and giving sound predictions as to what's going to happen. And she's been doing it long enough to have a very good proven track record of being able to predict the future. And uh, we're excited about her coming on and talking to her about where she sees things. Nobody has a lockup on predictions, and, and there's so much going on, and I think that it's going to be really great to hear what she sees going on in the future. And hopefully we haven't scared her off with uh, today's uh, episode. If she listens to this, maybe we ought to not tell her the, about this episode so she doesn't listen to it and get scared off uh, a little bit about some of the thoughts we've had about Michael's uh, predictions. But he, but they're both excellent, and they're both very different and come from different backgrounds, and we couldn't be more excited to have somebody uh, like Nancy Cruz join us to uh, tell us her thoughts about what the upcoming year will bring. And she might drill down into specifics into you know, some of these, and so we'll, we'll see how the we'll see how yeah we'll see how they overlap. So I I think it's going to be a very interesting, engaging conversation. Okay, gentlemen, uh, we're not quite at the end of the year yet. Any last thoughts on this episode? Any, any last comments before we get to uh, our uh, what will be our eventually our uh, year-ending episode? Where do you start? What a year! What a year! You know, as I mentioned, I think okay, I, the Ivar A J V A R. You heard it here. This is this is this is going to be something that we're going to see. We're going to be seeing next year. That's my big prediction. All I want to know is, besides Michael's predictions themselves, what other podcasts are people going to listen to and hear about food from the Balkans? That's what I want to know. None. We bring it all to you here, right here on every other Thursday, folks. <laughs> From York, Pennsylvania, it's my friend Jay Alley. From Chicago, uh, just north of uh, north suburbs of Chicago, it's my friend Greg Kirsch. I'm Dave Turner, and we want to thank everybody for joining us on this incredibly interesting episode of Every Other Thursday. Thanks a lot, folks. We'll see you next time. This episode of Every Other Thursday has been brought to you by TabletopJournal.com. For more than nine years, Tabletop Journal has been covering the global food service and hospitality industry all the while raising the awareness of just how important Tabletop is to the overall guest dining experience. TabletopJournal.com, where we celebrate the products, the people, and the places, all in the world of hospitality tabletop. You can learn more about Every Other Thursday by visiting our website, everyotherthursdaypodcast.com. Thanks for joining us today for this episode of Every Other Thursday.